0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: You're listening to a Brawl Network and Eagles Brawl podcast.
0: You love the Philadelphia Eagles. Let me get a hell yeah! Hell yeah!
1: This is the Kelly Green Show.
0: You're a bunch of underdogs, and you know what underdogs underdog is? It's a hungry dog.
2: Here's your host, Football Kelly.
0: Welcome back to the Kelly Green Show. I am your host, Football Kelly. Today's show is focused on what every Eagles fan cares about at this point, the NFL Draft. For such an important important topic, I brought in my fellow Eagles brawler as a co-host, Connor Miles, to help me interview our very special guest of this episode. Connor, before we introduce our guest, why don't you talk a little bit about what you are hoping to see the Eagles do in the upcoming 2021 NFL Draft before we really get into everything else?
1: I just want the Eagles to identify a true number one wide receiver. Finally get that one guy in there. You know, uh I know everybody's down on Jalen Rager right now and has disappointing rookie season, but uh when you had Deshaun Jackson coming off his exciting rookie year, you you didn't let up and you you got you did what you had to do to get Jeremy Macklin. Uh find that guy again. Get your two young starting talented wide receivers in the building for whatever your quarterback's gonna be establish that route immediately that's what I think the Eagles need to do but also uh, you cannot have Darius Slay play with the slot cornerback factory again next year you have to address that uh, cornerback two position it's a dire need on this team so uh, those are the two directions I'm aiming for the Eagles to go uh, in this upcoming 2021 draft Kelly
0: I hear you. And there is so much pressure on the front office. So many, so many people are watching this upcoming draft because we need to hit early and often. We can't really address things in the free agency market because of the cap situation. So a lot depends on getting these draft picks correct and evaluating the prospects right. So. I am so, so excited to have our next guest on because he is somebody who I respect so much. Uh, His work has been on the timeline for years, and uh, he has been doing all things NFL Draft. He's a producer, editor, and researcher for ESPN College Football, NFL Network, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Ben Fennell, thank you for coming on the show. How are you?
2: I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. and always love to talk uh, NFL Draft, the gift that keeps on giving. It's really turned into this year-round entity, so uh, it's fun that we've kind of turned the page from the regular season, and it now feels like we're in the thick of it, just like that.
0: Absolutely, and just like that, you are, you know, in the career of evaluating <laughs> players. So many people do it in, on their off time just as a hobby. What is it like, and how was your career path uh, directed towards becoming a draft evaluator and expert?
2: Well, it's a lot of fun because I never get to make any picks, so I don't make any wrong picks. It's a pretty low-pressure position. I never actually play the game, which is always the fun kind of media world on whether you actually want to get into the scouting community and start making some picks, and then you have some some chances of making wrong picks, and it's really putting your money where your mouth is, but... Went to Drexel University after growing up in the Poconos and slowly migrated over to NFL Films after a couple internships. Worked on the show Playbook uh, on NFL Network. And that really kind of was my launching pad into studying the game and marrying it into TV and viewership and relaying, you know, uh, this complicated, detailed game in a, you know, a packaged way that fans can absorb it because it can be very convoluted and detailed had some great people take me under their wing, you know, whether it's the Mike Mayocks and Matt Millens and Casserly's and Lombardi's, former GM's of the world and all the film gurus like Sterling Sharp and Baldy and some of those guys. Uh, it's all about giving back, you know, once you get into that community. Football is one of these things. You can't just load up with materials, close the door and come out an expert. You don't know what you don't know. It's such a detailed game. And it's so great to find people that are willing to give back. And then about seven years ago, I transitioned out of playbook took a job with the Eagles media department, working on Eagles game plan, uh, then going to ESPN games on the weekend, uh, working for ESPN college football. And then that fed right into draft season and they needed somebody to do senior bowl combine draft with Mike Mayock. We had a good relationship from playbook and that's kind of what I've been doing the last six, seven years. So unfortunately, Mayock has gone off to a uh, greener pastures with the Las Vegas Raiders. So it's been myself and Daniel Jeremiah over the last three years, but that's kind of the uh, the framework transition uh, into this crazy draft world.
1: Then you know, one thing I've learned from I've I've been to the scouting academy, and I think the one thing I've taken away from it so far is that there's such a different evaluation process for each talent evaluator. Like there's kind of I wanted to give you like an inside track to our listeners what you do for your evaluation process, like what goes into it, because I know that. Uh, it's really personal preference when you're watching a prospect. So how do, what stands out to you in a prospect's film, and how do you go into your determination of what that prospect is?
2: Well, at the end of the day, Connor, it's committing to watching the film. And mm-hmm. there's so many people that either, A, don't have access to college film, or their process is just to not watch the tape and to study their backgrounds and statistics and put the, all those metrics into the analytics machine and tell me if the prospect's going to be good or not. Um, and that's really a dominant kind of wing of this analysis. I just, I like watching college tape. It's fun. You know, these are kids. You see everything on Saturdays too, you know, it's unique systems. There's varying levels of competition and abilities. These are young adults. You know, it's just fun that these are constantly new faces, new names coming through college football. They're young, they're raw, some are immature, you know, it's just a fun kind of melting pot to watch and um, as complicated as the NFL game is, Once you start watching the NFL game, you could see the college game so much faster because it's less complicated. It's less disguised. Um, But just to answer your question, you know, in a broad stroke, it's just committing to watching tape. And it seems like it's been a lost start for some reason uh, with these college guys. I know the tape isn't as broadly available um, and there's a lot of it. There's a lot of colleges and there's football everywhere. And it's crazy to be so involved in the draft be so involved in sleepers, so involved in undrafted free agents. And then we get to the summer and training camp, and it's like, who is this guy? Where did this guy come from? That excites me so much. And it's like, you know what? Wherever you are, do what you're doing, because the NFL will find you, whether it's Canada, NAIA, FCS, D3, whatever level you're playing at, eight-man football, it's so fun that these guys come out from all over the country, and you could be a draft expert, like I guess I'm so, you know, proclaimed to be. And they're still names. You've never not like a I didn't watch that guy. I've never heard of this guy. And I think that's exciting. You can never get too far ahead. And to be these one man scouting departments, it's daunting. It's there's too many guys. So it's, you know, kind of just measuring and understanding. You're not going to get to everybody. Have a process. Go through your work and kind of, uh, you know, do one at a time. Do it well and move on.
0: I respect it. And uh, one level two. your evaluations is very likely the um, drills and results from the combine. We don't know at this point whether the 2021 combine will actually happen. There hasn't been a lot of news about whether or not it will happen due to the pandemic, of course. So as an evaluator, what do you believe would be the biggest loss if the combine cannot happen?
2: Well, we have to first reflect on what the purpose of the combine is. And when it was created in the early 80s, it was to streamline medicals of the prospects. Instead of flying this individual guide, all these teams separately and doing individual medical reports, let's bring them to one spot. Everybody get the same medical report and let's make some sense of this. Now we said, hey, we're bringing them here. We might as well work them out. And we said, hey, if we're working them out, we might as well interview them. And it's slowly grown into this animal that you think the combine is so important and needed for all those uh, facets. It's really to streamline medicals and to make these kids not fly all around the country and get different reports from different doctors. So that would be the first and foremost concern. Now, it's also in combination with the scouting community is behind. Because of the lack of pro days the previous year, that's when you get a lot of names and information for next year's class. So they're very far behind on just vetting the prospects, understanding who they are, getting their names. Obviously they're catching up as we've gone through the football season, but uh, through the fall was really tough and they were really behind. And then the players that have opted out. And then there's some players that haven't played for a calendar year. And some guys like Walker little who got hurt in early 2019 haven't played for two years, this is a 19 to 22 year old kid's, it's a changing time in their lives. Their body changes, their minds change. They're developing. They're going through life. I don't know who we're getting on the other side of this. And I think that's just such an interesting, uh, you know, prospect that if they don't go to Indianapolis and um, maybe the pro day circuit isn't as thick as it used to be, how far behind are they going to be on just vetting these kids? And it's a lot like the transition from high school to the NBA. The bus factor was so much greater. Because you didn't have as much research into the kids. You didn't get to see them against other competition. And next thing you know, you're taking guys before you should. And the bus factor is that much greater. So there could be some reaches and some serious busts coming out of this draft class uh, because of that.
1: Then you know, I hate to talk about the negative of the combine it potentially it not happening. Because, I mean, I, I really hope it does. Because what you're saying is completely true. I mean, these, it's, a, it's a job interview for these guys. It's really their best chance to showcase for... Uh, not just scouts and everything, but every part of the organization is there in that building representing that team, watching you, trying to get to know you. And uh, to not have that process is just such a shame. It's not something I want to think about right now. It's such a negative for like, I want 2021 to be positive. So uh, that being said, do you have any good combine stories you could share with our listeners that uh, you can think of off the top of your head? I'd love to hear a great combine story if you have one.
2: Well, a lot of things happen uh, late at night out on the streets there. People fight in the weather. It's pretty hilarious to see some of these GMs and coaches kind of stumble around the sidewalks, fighting snow and things late at night. Uh, Nothing too personal. There's been a couple, you know, uh, funny stories. We've seen Andy Reid and the Rob and Rex Ryan at Steak and Shake at like 2 in the morning. Amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a fun area because the the teams – The coaching staff don't have to take it too seriously. You know, once you're in the interview sessions, that's really it. You can hang out and watch drills and just have fun on on the nights. And it's really low stress and it's a tight knit community. Um, The other thing with the combine, I'm not sure if every fan is aware of, is the NCAA March Madness tournament is going to be in Indianapolis in a bubble style atmosphere. Now, obviously, March Madness, that's right on the heels of the combine. So now we're trying to figure out, are we going to work in concert with them? Do we let them go in first and we come after, let them set the bubble precedent? Um, Or do we try to sneak in before them? So there's a lot still in flux right now. There's obviously been conversation about moving the combine uh, over these years, but Indianapolis is such a centrally located uh, city and it's a really good setup for it. So a lot still uh up in the air, but if the combine gets moved, it's very likely the draft will also get moved. So those are things that are still very much in play.
0: Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes on that one. A lot of Philadelphia is uh hoping and praying that things will work out and everything <laughs> will uh, come together because it does add some distraction to the you know, negative s- side of things, you get excited about prospects. You get to see them perform, do the drills and everything. So we'll hope not, that that still happens this year.
1: We're not that used to a top five. I top, mean, you know, excuse me, a top 10 pick. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. this is, we're fairly new to us to have that high of a draft. Not
2: naturally, at least. I mean, we've That's done right. our trade-ups in the past, but uh, to end up here via the record, isn't too, uh, too normal in Philadelphia. Exactly. In
1: season, Probably more seriously than any, anyone before. We need this combine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the combine is so fun too because everyone's on a job interview so everybody's so polite everyone's holding doors for you and on their best behavior it's really fun to see but you know just to kind of uh you know put to bed the whole idea of these kids going to the nfl and there's so many reasons for success and failure in the nfl and it's rarely because of ability these guys are all really talented so you know the ones that have to still manage their life and responsibilities and things are so spoon fed for these kids to be on a track with these d1 programs to eliminate distractions to make sure they're in a regiment with their workouts and their diets and everything is spoon fed the second you're a pro you have to set that alarm clock you have to get up in the morning you forget you know young 20s you're learning about temptations in life obviously we know the sex drugs and alcohol some guys struggle with food and fast food and other temptations like that in life. You could get addicted to Skittles just as quickly as you can to cocaine. I've seen it happen. You know, the Packers took a guy, Cole Madison, uh, in the mid-rounds, never reported. Fans were wondering, what's going on? Is he a bust? What's up with this kid? Turns out the Washington State quarterback, uh, Ryan Holinsky, that had committed suicide was his best friend, and he took it really hard. You know, and there's a lot of things in hu- human elements with these kids going through life, life, deaths, babies, relationships. I think we don't always factor in the human element to some of this stuff. And here in Philadelphia, we've seen it from the, you know, the anxiety stuff with Brandon Brooks. And, he, you know, he he took it hard in the media. But these are human beings, too. And I love just putting a human element to these this whole draft cycle as well.
0: And I respect that so much. Uh, we are going to ask you a couple of quick questions and answers. It's called the Kelly Green Lightning Round on my show. Love it. Uh, breaks things up, gets some quick questions in here for you. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What isn't a draft drill, combine drill, that should be?
2: I think everybody should be doing punt returning. I think it, it tests hand eye coordination, tracking the football, natural hand ability. Um, I think that's just a kind of common skill that I think almost all uh, players should just go through. Even offensive linemen, I think just the natural hand-eye coordination in combination with your balance and body movement. I think it's a really interesting exercise.
0: Respect it. Now, uh, NFL player comparison for Heisman winner Devonte Smith.
2: You know, this is uh, really interesting because of his very small frame and not a track burner. So typically you're in that small frame, you're an over-the-top guy. He ran an official 4 uh, 2 at Alabama over the summer. So we have to look at small guys that aren't burners. A lot of people pointed to Marvin Harrison. We got to go old school. I don't know if it's Peerless Price or Sean Jefferson. My comp is Keenan McCardell, who is 5'11", 175, ran 4-5-6. He played 17 seasons in the NFL. Now, the caveat, he was a 12th round pick. Much different trajectory of prospect here, but it has worked in the past. This game's been played for 100 years, all right? Nothing is new. You can go find someone with this height, weight, speed. It's happened before. They've been successful. He's got to be a little creative in finding it. So I'll go with Keenan McCardo.
0: I like it. One word you'd use to describe Panay Sowell.
2: Well, I'm going to go with a hyphen word here, and that's a balanced bully. He has excellent lower half balance and quickness and footwork, great reach, a violent, violent punch, heavy-handed kid. He is special. He looks like he was made in a lab somewhere.
0: Current top 10 projected player you think the Eagles will not or should not draft?
2: I will say should not, and that's going to be any player with the position designation QB in front of them.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, there's one more from uh, Connor, and then we'll get to some Eagles-centric questions.
1: Uh, I got to know this, Ben. In your opinion, if you're taking the corner, which one are you taking? Are you taking Caleb Fairley or are you taking Patrick Stern?
2: I'm going to go with Caleb Fairley. And now it's obviously uh, out of sight, out of mind. He opted out of the 2020 season. Great 2019. First team all ACC. You know, 12 PBUs, four interceptions. He reminds me of Marlon Humphrey. He has a FU attitude. He has a my ball attitude out there. He has the track speed. He's running official 435. He's grabby. He's tough. He gets some DPIs down the field. That's okay. I could dial back the aggressive guy. It's tough to dial up the the timid guy. Um, But it's just the out of sight, out of mind. And that's what Jamar Chase is going through too. So I'm going to hold out hope and say his tape in 2019 showed me the real deal.
0: I like the aggressive attitude of players. I think Philadelphia responds well to the aggressive no style. so He would
2: fit in. He would fit in, certainly. I
0: like it. Uh, thank you for entertaining the Kelly Green Lightning Round. Let's talk a little bit more about some of these draft prospects. Who would you pound the table for the Eagles to take at the sixth pick in the 2021 draft, and why?
2: Well, I'm going to take a kind of vague approach here, and it's just going to be somebody to help the offense, somebody to make this system – more quarterback friendly. And I think this team and the nature of the NFL is about scoring points. It's about lighting up the scoreboard. And I think looking at the 2018 to 2019 to 2020 Green Bay Packers is a great example. Last year, they lost all four games. Anytime the opponent scored 25 points said, you know what? Let's dedicate resources to the offense and let's go light up scoreboards. And that's what it's all about. And the Chiefs, we you know won the Super Bowl last year. I don't know if anyone can tell me who played corner for the Chiefs. They're going to win games 45-35 and no one's going to, you know, no one's going to care or think twice about it. So, everybody wants to hit reset on the quarterback positions. Everybody wants to change the paint to the car without looking under the hood to the engine. So I want to add more weapons around the quarterback, help the quarterback and do whatever we can to improve this offense and score points, because that's the nature of 2020 NFL. If you're not, you know, uh, in this track meet, you're behind the race.
1: So, Ben, when you're seeing these mock drafts that have the Eagles taking like Trey Lance and Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, are you just like rolling your eyes at them then?
2: Well, you know, we can group this all into a collective conversation. The quarterbacks in the first round, the new Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, trade rumors. I don't know how you could watch the 2020 Philadelphia Eagles offense and say, yeah, the quarterback position was the problem. And I don't think I'm not in the boat of just hitting reset on quarterbacks um, immediately. And I see that all over the place. We have no nuanced discussion about the quarterback position in the NFL. You're either great or you're replaceable. And to see guys say, oh, it's two of the guy. I mean, he played half a season, didn't get to finish some games. We're so quick to hit reset in this binary society where you're good or bad. It's black or white. You know, Netflix doesn't have the star rating anymore. It's thumbs up, thumbs down because everyone picked five stars or one star. There's a lot of guys you can win with in the middle of the road. I think we need to start asking ourselves, what are we asking the quarterback to do? And can we help him? Can we make this a more QB friendly offense? And to take some of your points off the top of the show about Jalen Rager, Jalen Rager's offensive coordinator in college said, we didn't do him any service by where we played him. Where would they play him? This 5'10 receiver outside the numbers all the time. And they said, you know what? Once he gets to the Eagles, he's going to be used like Debo Samuel. He'll be in the slot. He'll be in the gadget. It's going to be easy offense for the quarterback, easy offense to move down the field. A lot of yak, a lot of jet sweeps, quick game, RPOs. And in 2020, we saw a whole lot of fades outside the numbers against Patrick Petersons. And I felt he was kind of misused. I think there's some things you could do schematically in the offense to help the quarterback, help move the ball down the field, help have easier offense. And to circle back to the Packers, that's what we did with Aaron Rodgers. Get him easier offense, get the ball out of his hands, more yards after catch opportunity, pre-snap motion, bunches and stacks, RPO game personnel diversity, play call sequencing, all that good stuff to help the quarterback. I think we look at our quarterback and say, oh, no, you got to keep hitting reset, reset, reset. You know, I think there's more things you can do in the framework of the offense and the weapons around the quarterback to say we can make his life easier. And I just think we're too fast to kind of either anoint or tear down this position.
1: So Ben, I agree with you on that completely. So in your opinion, why can't Doug Peterson do that?
2: I don't know, to be to be perfectly honest with you. I have some thoughts, uh, but I don't know. Um, and it's an interesting thought and a reflection from 2017. I think we really have to look at 2018 as well as an interesting reflection off of that Super Bowl year with Nick Foles starting. And there's some questions on whether that was a good season or not. Um, so since that Super Bowl season, there's some things that you kind of point to and allude to. But I would much more look at the X's and O's than the Jimmy's and Joe's of this offense. But I think we're in this Jimmy's and Joe's world where everybody just wants to hit reset until we find that guy. And there's quarterbacks you can win with in the NFL. You know, not everybody is either here or here. Everybody wants to either find Peyton Manning or Patrick Mahomes. If you're looking for the outlier, you're in the wrong business. And I think too many teams want the outlier. These elite quarterbacks, the Mannings and Mahomes, they're outliers. They don't they don't come out every draft. They're not every 10 drafts. Um, so you need to look at the system, what you're asking your quarterback to do, and really reflect, is this a quarterback-friendly system? And whether it's Wentz, Foles, Jalen Hurts, Sudfeld, Deshaun Watson, I don't see anybody having success in the way this offense is designed. Uh, and, you know, when we watch film on Monday mornings, a lot of times we joke around and say, stop the tape. Before the quarterback even throws the ball, and ask yourself what is he being asked to do, and is that a high percentage play? And I think that's an interesting discussion to do with what we're being, what our quarterbacks are being asked to do on a down to down basis.
0: So, uh, off of what you have been kind of talking about, I've always felt like we are a very reactionary fan base when it comes to what we're seeing out there. We want our guys to be good, um, but there is this. Um, tendency to crown or tear down um, a player when they aren't developing as fast as we think they should be, or if they just have a really good game and we're like, this is the guy forever, he's going to be a number one, whatever position. So for you, as an evaluator, what do you believe is a fair time frame to deem a player a stud or a bust?
2: Yeah, this is a great discussion. Uh, I do a lot of work with the Packers. I write for the Athletic Wisconsin doing film breakdowns. They're obviously one of the cream of the crops in the NFL, so it's a great kind of reflection. The Packers community is up in arms about their two first-round picks last year, Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. Savage has started to make some splash plays, but everybody's saying bust, bust, bust. I mean, they're saying Rashawn Gary's a bust after two, three games because he didn't have a sack. And this is the same community that was trying to drive Devontae Adams out of town his first year very similar to the way Nelson Aguilar first started with the Eagles. You know, there was some concentration drops. There was clearly a lack of confidence. Um, Some instances where you had to straight sit him down for a game. And that was Devontae Adams early on. And now Devontae Adams is probably the best receiver in the NFL. And I think the patience can buy the fan base just a little bit of time to say, you know what, not every player trends the same way. Not every player is as ready to play not every player is put in a position to be uh, ready to play right away too. You have to also consider what they're being asked to do and the the management and workload. Some are more ready to to plug and play than others. But it's the precedent of the guys that come in and impact right away. That changes the fan base because then they all say, well, what about what about him? He has a thousand yards. We only have th- you know 300 yards. So you look at that bias of saying, well, it's been done elsewhere. Why isn't it here? Not every player trends the same way. And that's the whole developmental aspect we talked about earlier. Sometimes these guys are just going through different things in life, whether it's, you know, body changes, weight changes, personal life stuff, figuring out your finances and responsibility and things like that. And being a professional maybe takes a year, two years, three years, maybe even longer, as we've seen with some guys like, you know, Kurt Warner who during a a joint practice, his rookie year with the Green Bay Packers, said, I'm not going in the game. He refused to go into a game of a joint practice because he didn't feel like he was ready. They ended up cutting him. He went to NFL Europe. Next thing you know, he's back with the Rams winning Super Bowls. You know, there's other stories to point to as well. So I think we look at the guys that come in right away as rookies are huge superstars, and everybody wants that for their fan base or their team, Um, and it's just not practical. I think the expectations of football fans is really fun to watch, uh, particularly on Sundays, uh, even when games are going on. The expectations are outrageous, uh, particularly you know, with young players contributing and defense are the two expectations I seem to see on Sundays that are unrealistic, in my opinion.
0: And I, I kind of want to just go off that because I have – Honestly, and admittedly, wanted a plug and play starter on this team. So, when you see a guy who gets hurt like Rager did this year, it's kind of frustrating to look at Justin Jefferson and say, Well, we could have picked him. You know, I admittedly have been that person, I have been that fan. Um, but when you have a top five, top 10 pick, like we, the Eagles do this year, don't you feel like that should be a player that you as a fan base and a team organization say, this guy's going to be a plug and play starter, like at sure. the sixth pick.
2: That's certainly part of the decision with these first round capitals and saying, we need someone to contribute right away. Um, and that's with the interesting discussion of these teams that kind of prepare for the future as well. You know, keep spinning back to the Packers. Could you have helped your 37 year old quarterback with a weapon in the first round, or do you prepare for his future? everybody says, well, it's good to think to the future. Well, the Colts weren't thinking of the future signing 42-year-old Phillip Rivers, or the Bucks weren't thinking of the future signing Tom Brady, and Big Ben's 40 years old, and Drew Brees is 40 years old. I don't know who any of those backup quarterbacks of the future are. So there's things you could do to help your quarterback now. Um, So when you're looking at the first-round capital, particularly the front half of the first round, you want someone to contribute right away. So that's going to be a big factor uh, in who you select and then how you use them. I felt Jalen Rieger could have been a more factor if used differently. Uh, so the production is an interesting kind of uh, you know you know scope to reflect back on and how he was used and whether he was misused or not uh, and whether you could have gotten more production and maybe a more focused role for him to uh, to manage as a rookie, which you know the 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 volume of plays and the volume of assignments, which the Andy Reid tree is very multiple. That's just the nature of it, whether it's, you know, Andy or Doug or whoever. It's multiple. You line up guys in a variety of spots. You have to know a variety of positions as opposed to the air raid and Cliff Kingsbury. DeAndre Hopkins was left right receiver outside the numbers, 99% of snaps this year. So those different schemes, put more stress on certain players. Um, but I think there's things you could do to help manage that.
1: Ben, is there any prospect right now that you have your eyes on that you think, you know, because I know you do the mock drafts and everything, but uh, the Eagles really need to hit this pick. And I know fans are alluding to getting the Jamar Chases of the world or the Devontae Smiths, but I mean, with everything you're saying, and it, it with all likes and purposes, it appears Doug Pearson is returning this year. Uh, The receiver position under his tenure has struggled. They haven't had a 1,000-yard wide receiver yet since he's been head coach. My question to you is, like, do they keep adding to this position and just hope that finally works out or I mean, is there a position that you think at this sixth pick that the Eagles should? I mean, I know best player available is probably the best approach to have when you're having that pick. But uh, just to stick to the question, is there any prospect that you're seeing there? You're like, you know what, this is an Eagles type player.
2: I think any of the receivers would be exciting to add to the offense. I mean, Jamar Chase is a great player. Devontae Smith is a great player. Jalen Waddell might be worth the sixth overall pick. He's an explosive player that threatens defenses anytime he walks off the sideline into the huddle. So if you want guys that just, you know, make defensive coordinators stay up at night during the week, you want safety saying look out pre-snap, like we've had with Deshaun Jacksons and those type of explosive weapons they're all fine. They're all great. And I could find just someone on day two and day three and Quez Watkins, excuse me, can run four, three and John Hightower can run. We have speed and weapons. So it's kind of going back to how they're deployed and how much pressure is being put on the quarterback and how hard is it to move the ball down the field. Um, So while it's exciting to add these guys to the roster and the depth chart, what are you doing with them? And what are you asking them to do? If it's Devante Smith saying, go win outside the numbers down the field. I'm not that excited about that. So I want to know how they're being used. And I'm not one of these guys that also say, you know what, it can't be a linebacker. You don't do linebackers in the top 10. Okay, you end up with Luke Keekley, Nobody's thinking twice about it. So you know, I could find you a case study that that team's more than happy of finding that top 10 quarterback. And as a playmaker in the middle of the defense, your quarterback of the defense, that matters, too. Um, so I'm not one of these guys to write off a position just based on draft spot, even running back as well. Um, so I'm much more focused on And I've said it kind of uh, tongue in cheek. I'll hit reset on the entire roster for the Eagles next year. But I need to change how they're deployed and how they're used.
0: You talked about the linebacker position, so that brings me to my last question for you. Uh, Who is a sleeper or late-round pick? It's traditionally been under the Rosemans uh, regime that he won't pick a linebacker at the top of the draft. That kind of seems to be why people say it's not going to be happening, because we've seen so many years where linebacker has been a, a positional need for the roster, and they've not picked uh, linebacker until later rounds. So if we go by that tradition, we're hoping that there's maybe a sleeper in the later rounds or an under the radar linebacker prospect of this class that you know you can tell us about.
2: Yeah, so the linebacker group is really interesting. Michael Parsons is obviously dominating the conversation. He didn't play in 2020. He's also a very raw linebacker. He's a defensive end coming out of high school, extremely athletic. So. He's going to be the, obviously the premier. The next tier is really interesting. Is it Dylan Moses, Chaz Surratt, North Carolina, the former quarterback, Nick Bolton, looks like Devin Bush uh, coming from the University of Missouri. That seems to be the next tier going between maybe 20 and 40. Then early day three is the next conversation. I think there's a lot of intriguing guys. Everybody wants that kind of former safety that has the athleticism yet has the toughness to be that athletic linebacker. And whether that's Tony Fields over at West Virginia, who uh, came over from the University of Arizona, athletic spark plug tackling machine, great on third down to either blitz the quarterback, QB, spy, can guard backs and tight ends out of the backfield. He plays with a mean streak, and he has a bit of an FU attitude as well, which I love from linebackers. Some other guys like that, whether it's Antoine Simmons, Michigan State, Grant Stewart from Houston is going to be down at the Senior Bowl. Grant Stewart was 190-pound safety coming out of high school. He's up to about 220 right now, but he hasn't lost the athleticism. And you just see the foot speed. That's really what it's about in uh, college football. And now on Sundays, those athletic linebackers have to be able to make plays from sideline to sideline, in the alley, with all this perimeter RPO action. You have to be able to take a step up to guard the run and then go chase out to the sideline. And these downhill big 240-pound linebackers are really a dying breed because they can't get out to the perimeter. They're very segmented uh, in their run fits, and they can't be a dual-threat player. So there's a lot of interesting guys. And certainly Monday night, watch Ohio State. They have four linebackers that are all worthy of being drafted, whether it's Pete Werner or tough Borland, Baron Browning, even a guy like Justin Hillier that's been hurt all through his college career. He'll come on the field wearing number 47, he came into the program with Joe Burrow, like five, six, seven years ago at this point, had some injuries throughout his career. Um, But there's a lot of intriguing guys on that team as well. Alabama, I don't think they have as many uh, draft eligible guys outside of Dylan Moses. Um, but it's an interesting linebacking group. And I think it's very unsettled at the moment. I think the senior bowl is going to be big to kind of sort through some of, uh, some of these day three guys.
0: And we don't really know what the defense is going to look like for the Eagles next year with, yeah. with shorts not being there. So that's kind of a tough uh, question to ask anyway, uh, just evaluating who would be the right fit for the scheme we have. We don't really know what we have in store for that position, but that's all we have for today. I appreciate both of you for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben and my co-host Connor for coming on to the episode. I certainly learned more about the drafting process and I hope our listeners did as well. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green show and please subscribe to the Eagles Brawl podcast for more episodes. Fly Eagles fly.
1: What's going on, everybody? Connor Miles from Eagles Brawl here trying to win you $1 million. How am I going to do that? Simple. You go to DraftKings, dkng.co slash BrawlMilly for your chance to win $1 million. You can win this $1 million through our partnership with DraftKings and the Brawl Network. So there will be three opportunities for new players to have their shot at $1 million in the top prize three each round of the playoffs. Wildcard weekend divisional round and the conference finals new players who make a first time deposit will receive a ticket for free entry into one of these millionaire contests minimum deposit is five dollars you go to dkng.co slash b-r-a-w-l-m-i-l-l-y for your chance to win one million dollars on everybody. Co-host Connor Miles here and support for the Eagles Brawl podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Big news, Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good can feel this good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below the waist grooming needs. Again, that's the R-A-W-L, Brawl, for 20% off on Manscaped.com, plus free shipping. Don't be like Doug Peterson, don't be like Jeffrey Lurie, and definitely don't be like Holly Roseman. Find your balls today by going to Manscaped.com, use promo code BRAWL, and get 20% off your order, plus free shipping, and support the Eagles Brawl Podcast.